Good morning. Um, now we got some people in overflow. I don't know if we've done since we uh, kind of updated our overflow seating upstairs. What has Daryl called it? Not the, the something lounge. What does he call it? I forget. Something funny. Um, what is it? Amex Lounge, no, the Centur- he calls it the Centurion's Club, not the Amex Lounge. It's not an airport, uh, Russ. Um, yeah, the Centurion's Club upstairs, as Daryl calls it, because he says Centurion's Club sounds better than um, Overflow. I don't know if we've done whiteboards since we've uh, updated that up there, but uh, we'll see how this goes. If you can't see the whiteboard, I'm sorry, in the Overflow, but that's just what it's going to have to be. Um, before we get started, hi, welcome, happy snow week. Uh, if you have children at home, I know why you're here. Uh, but I have loved this week. Uh, it's been really sweet to have a lot of uninterrupted family time. Uh, I know that, that even though it's been sweet, uh, it, it's good for a break too. Uh, and even if you don't have kids at home, I'm sure if you've been cooped up to some degree, uh, it's, it's good to get out. But thank you for braving the uh, icy side roads and, and making it here. It's good to gather. It's good to be together. Um, before we dive into our sermon and, and this whiteboard sesh, uh, I just want to name something. Uh, we have space issues. <laughs> um, it's good to name your issues. Uh, we have them. Uh, and, and we have overflow and we have people clamoring for seats and, and it's, a, it's a gift. Uh, the elders meet a lot and talk about this. Uh, we pray a lot about this. Uh, we, don't, we, we believe that the Holy Spirit has decided that he wants to fill this room up and we're trying to be good stewards of that and asking the Lord, we have been asking the Lord for years, how would you have us handle this? How would you have us shepherd this? How would you have us care uh, for the people that you're bringing to us uh, to care for? And so we wanna do uh, well by that. We wanna be faithful in that. We don't have all the answers. I want you to know that we're talking about a lot of possibilities. Uh, we're talking about a lot of um, different ways that we could maybe try to figure out how to care for different people better. We're trying to think about long-term solutions, trying to think about some short-term solutions, all kinds of things. Uh, but here's where I'm, where I'm inviting you into this, um, especially our members. Uh, we would love your ideas. Uh, like you are a part of this family. We would love for you to say, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Uh, the answer is probably yes, uh, we have. But, but we would love for you to share your thoughts and your hearts and go, hey, uh, I own a building in 12 South that seats 1,000 people. You can have it. Um, <laughs> If that's you, please tell us. Um, but we, we, we would seriously love uh, to hear from you. Uh, the other thing I would invite you to, and this is not just Christianese talk, this is not just the pastor using uh, like you know, a, a Bible word, uh, would you pray about it with us? Um, we, every time our elders gather, which is multiple times a month, um, we pray about this. We, and we have been for years. Um, and so again, some things are in the works, some things I, we can update you on all kinds of different possibilities and side roads and things we've chased down. We'd love to do that, but I just want you to know we're aware of it. We feel it. We feel the, the, um, the heavy privilege of this problem. Uh, not that it's a problem, but this opportunity. Um, and so we feel it too. Uh, this, is, this is not an ideal, hospitable uh, I, uh, place that I would like to say, man, church is great when you have to touch strangers' elbows every time and you're, you're fighting for a seat and you can't say hey to a neighbor and invite a, a friend to come with you to church and all those things. Um, we feel it too. Just wanted you to know that and I hope you would join in sharing some ideas um, and also please join in praying with us and we will update you on things as they are happening but um, just wanted you to know that. Just wanted to name that for the room. So now 
on to our uh, final and third week of our vision series. Uh, we've been walking through our 12 South vision statement. Uh, you can throw this up there, um, David. It goes like this. Uh, it says, this is the vision of 12 South. It says this, Midtown 12 South. We are being transformed into agents of gospel renewal and revival for the glory of God and the good of Nashville. We've been kind of breaking down this mission statement, this vision statement for the last couple of weeks. We are being transformed, we talked about that a few weeks ago, into agents of gospel renewal and revival. And now this third week, this final one is this. I'm gonna to try to fit a lot on this board today. Uh, for the glory of God and the good of Nashville. Can people see that in the back? Uh, kind of, enough. Can you see it on overflow? Hope so. There you go, camera. Hope you can see it. Uh, for the glory of God and the good of Nashville. This is our, the, the kind of the final piece of our 12 South vision statement. But what we've been saying each week as well is we don't preach a vision statement. What we try to do is preach scripture. And so what we're looking at is how this vision statement was born out of an understanding of scripture, of who we are, of who the Lord is and what the Lord calls the church to be in the world. And so we've been looking at that reality from 2 Corinthians 5. So we're gonna talk about this uh, but we're gonna look at it through the lens of 2 Corinthians 5. So if you will, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5. The second half of that chapter is our kind of our base passage for our vision series. Uh, and we're gonna be reading all of it again, verses 11 through 21, but really focusing on just a couple of verses. So this is 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 11. And we'll read till the end of the passage, uh, and then we'll dive in. It says this, it says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, not about what is in the heart. Verse 13, so if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on, Christ, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Jesus, uh, we come to your word now uh, on this frigid day uh, asking that you warm our hearts with it. Um, we need your word to do what only your word can do and that is to show us clearly who Jesus is. This passage has a lot in it, Father, and so I pray you make uh, my words not just uh, understandable, but lucid uh, and clear so that the message and the ministry of reconciliation and 
what you've given your church to do would be, um, would be not just understandable, but would be uh, made beautiful for your people here today. Pray now for the one who you've called to teach your word this morning that you forgive him his sins for there are many. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So here's our question <clears throat> that we're looking at and that's kind of what the vision series is all about. What is the mission of the church? Why does the church exist? What is the purpose of the church? And it's been well said before, not by me, but by people much smarter than me, um, that God doesn't have a mission for his church. Isn't that interesting? God doesn't have a mission for his church. It's actually flipped. God has a church for his mission. Meaning this, the church is the means by which the Lord is seeking to accomplish his mission in the world. The church is the, the instrument through which God has sent his mission to be accomplished into the world. He has a mission for the world. So the question is not, what is the mission of the church supposed to be? The question is, what is the mission of God in the world that he has enlisted and called the church to accomplish for him? That the church is actually the means by which God wants to accomplish his mission. So what's his mission? What does God love? What does God care about? What's God doing in the world? What's the mission of God in the world? That's an important question. Our passage tells us. This is the, the two or three verses we're gonna focus on this morning. Turn with me again, or if you can throw these up on the screen, look with me again at verses 18 through 20. It says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Okay, God gave us, that's the church, the ministry this is always risky, spell a big word like reconciliation, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Wait, hold on, reconciliation. God gave us the ministry, the message of reconciliation. He has entrusted to us a ministry and a message. That's what we're saying. God doesn't have a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission. What's his mission? It's a ministry of reconciliation. That's God's mission in the world. He is reconciling the world to himself. This is so much deeper than just individual salvation for people. That's part of it. That is certainly a huge piece of what reconciliation work is. But this word, when it says here, this mission of God in the world, that he's reconciling the world to himself, he is to reconcile something is to restore what was originally intended for something. You're reconciling something that has been lost, that has been cast out, that has been forgotten, that has been marred, that has been vandalized. And in reconciling it, you're bringing it back to what was originally intended for it. You're restoring what was originally intended. What is the scope of God's reconciliation, restoration project? The world. That's God's mission. Reconciling what was torn apart in the garden, mending what was broken there, healing what was marred there, restoring what's been lost there. And so if this is cosmic in nature, if the ministry of the church, because it is the mission of God, if the ministry of the church is cosmic in size and global in its nature, it's not just about individuals praying sinners' prayers that they might be converted. That's true. It's also about restoring everything that was lost in Eden. 
and mending what was shattered in Eden. So at the heart of it, reconciliation is about, I'm gonna write this in big letters, is about the work of beauty in the world. A ministry of reconciliation is all about beauty because it's about restoring the beauty that was lost in the fall. And so the ministry of God in the world that he has a church to accomplish for him is a ministry of beauty in the world, to mend and to heal. The church is to be a place that shows the world the beauty of God. And how do they do it? They do it through their ministry and their message of reconciliation, of healing, everything that's been lost, everything that's been torn apart. Do you know that many in the watching world won't read the Bible, but they will read the church? They will watch the church to decide on what they think about the Lord. And so they will say, and I've had it said to me, you've probably had it said to you, I don't even know if I think I agree with everything that the Bible teaches, but when I watch the church, I can't deny that they actually bring beauty into the world. I can't deny their peace. I can't deny their joy. I can't deny that they have hope in the face of suffering. I can't deny that they seem to care about people that the world doesn't care about. I can't seem to to notice about the church that they're different, that something is different about them. They're not running the rat race. They do things differently. They have a beauty about them that the world doesn't have. And so I don't even believe everything they believe, but man, there's something going on over there. That's the ministry of the church. And remember, the Lord here says in 2 Corinthians 5 that he's reconciling the world to himself, which is no small task which means that when we understand that the ministry of reconciliation is a ministry of beauty for the world, that's not just that people would say, isn't the church a beautiful place? We hope that's true. Look at those people, they have community, they're known and loved, they're seeing and they're being seen. They care for one another. They take care of people that hate them. Like, what is the, who are these people? We don't just want them to say that the church is a beautiful place. We want the world to experience the beauty of God through us. We actually want things to be mended because of this beauty that we bring into the world. That's how this ministry of reconciliation should be and can be good for Nashville. That's actually part of our mission statement, that if we believe we have a ministry of reconciliation and that's the mission of God in the world, that as we go out and do those things, that it is good for our city. It's good for the people of our city. It's good for the systems of our city. It's good for the families in our city. It's good for the forgotten in our city. Man, that place, those people, they just aren't a beautiful people that that do things that the world doesn't do. They cause beauty to happen in the world and it's good for our city. And so where have you been sent? I don't know where you may be sent one day, but I know where you're currently being sent. I know where you're currently on mission. If you've joined God in his reconciliation project, you are currently, Nashville is your mission field. You have been sent there. He may send you somewhere else tomorrow. But today, I know this, I can say this with confidence. Everyone in the room that lives in Nashville, I know where you've been called. I know where you've been sent for this ministry of reconciliation. You've been sent to Nashville. You've been sent into all kinds of spheres You've been sent into all kinds of sectors in our city. You've been sent into the sphere of the arts, the sphere of education, the sphere of government, the sphere of finance, the sphere of hospitality. What's another one? Oh, how about this? The sphere of your home. You maybe are called to your house right now and that's your ministry right now. You're there and what does 2 Corinthians 5 tell you as to why you've been sent there? Why have you been sent to these spheres in this city? Why are you in, those, in the places that you are right now? 
Look again at verse 19 and 20, actually the second half of verse 19 and 20. He's entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, ambassadors. It's a really interesting word. It's a really interesting word. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. That's not, well, it's used one other time, but it's the only time in this context that it's used about this mission. But it's a, it's a word from the ancient world, like an ambassador, an emissary, an agent. You're a messenger of something. You represent something or someone that has sent you to another place. You've been sent there. You're an emissary of beauty. You're a representative of another kingdom. And like an ambassador, you've been sent on a mission somewhere. And like an ambassador, you represent the one that sent you. And he has sent you there to bring healing and reconciliation and beauty. That the church, I'll draw our little church building here. Wish it was bigger, okay? He he has sent the church, the members of this church into different spheres in the city. And he sends his people like an ambassador to those spheres with a mission. What's that mission? To be an ambassador of beauty in that sphere. To bring with you, to represent the one that you're representing who has reconciled you to to represent his beauty in the sphere that you've been sent to. So what's, what's not beautiful in the sphere where you've been sent? What's not whole? What's not at peace? What's not healed? What's where is there not shalom in the place where you've been sent? What's unreconciled about the, about the sphere where God has sent you? Where is there discord? Where is there strife? Where is there ego? Where is there greed? Where is there individualism? Or what the Bible would say about all this, where is there sin? Where are things still being torn apart? Where are things still, where is there still no reconciliation and beauty in the sphere where you've been sent? Abraham Kuyper, prime minister of the Netherlands about 100 years ago, also a very brilliant theologian, he, he kind of, he coined a term called sphere sovereignty, but what he's doing is he's, he's making sense of 2 Corinthians 5, because he didn't invent this. What 2 Corinthians 5 is telling you, and what Abraham Kuyper would tell you, is that as a member of the church, as a member of the kingdom of God, not just the local organization, Midtown 12 South, not the organization of the church, but like as a member of the body of Christ, as like a person, as, an, as the organism of the church. You, the people of the church, whatever sphere you've been sent to, here's what Kuiper in 2 Corinthians 5 is try, would say to you. You are to steward all of your gifts and all of the resources of that sphere in a way that brings beauty and healing and reconciliation to that sphere. That's why you've been sent there. You were sent there to create beauty. Meaning, if you're a computer engineer, you were sent to your sphere to create beautiful software. If you work in public policy, you were sent there to create policies that are beautiful and good for the marginalized and full of justice. You were sent there with a job to do. And part of that job is to bring reconciliation and beauty to the sphere you've been sent to. To bring sculptures and highways, to make lattes, to create beautiful architecture, to write poetry, to build furniture, to have a a, a reconciled marriage, to have a beautiful marriage. You were sent to whatever sphere you're in to bring beauty there. Musicians, 
You are to take the raw elements, to take them and to cultivate and keep them and to bend them and to take dominion over them to create beautiful sounds and beautiful lyrics, to make things, to bring order and beauty out of chaos and nothingness. Lawyers, you were sent to create beauty, the beauty of systems of justice. Whether you work in an HR department or whether you create entire policies and civic systems for the greater good of Nashville, you were sent there to create the beauty of justice for all. Doctors, you were sent to your hospital or to your clinics to create the beauty of health and life and to fight against death and decay. That as long as death and cancer and chronic illnesses and things are still happening that aren't reconciled, you were sent there to reconcile them, to make them beautiful, to heal them. Teachers, you were sent to your classroom to teach second graders what two plus two is. I don't know, second graders already know that. You were sent, <laughs> I don't know what kind of school you're in. You, you were sent there to create you were sent there to teach students how to use their imagination, that education and giving them dignity and showing them that their mind was made for a purpose, that's beautiful. You weren't sent there just to convert all of your coworkers. Sure, that's fine if God wants to do that through you. You were sent there to create beauty there. You were sent there to reconcile the part of that sphere that was unreconciled. Take what's been marred and reconcile it, restore it and make it beautiful again. That's what the church is on this planet to do. That God doesn't have a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission and his mission is to reconcile the world. And you are his ambassador to do that. This passage says, as if God were making his appeal to the world through us, he's enlisted you to bring beauty to the sphere that you've been sent as an ambassador. And it's great if you get a paycheck. I hope you get a fat one. But that's not why you're there. That's not why you've been sent there, to get paid. Now, a, a worker is due his wages and the Bible is very much about fair and equal pay and all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. You're not there to get paid. You're there to bring beauty there. You're there to reconcile it. And I know some of you will say, because I've said it, well, the church doesn't always seem to be doing this. The church doesn't always seem to be a place that creates beauty for the good of the city. It doesn't always seem to be doing that. And I would say, you're right. But that's not the whole story either. It's part of the story. But do you know that what church history would say? Do you know what world history would say? That this is what the true church has always been and has always been doing in every age. Since the first century of the church to today, you don't hear about it nearly as much, but people who are trusting Jesus, who are members of his kingdom, who see themselves on mission with him, who have been sent into their sphere to bring good there, they just get on about the things that the kingdom is all about and they become ambassadors of reconciliation and beauty and they actually do things that make the world a more beautiful and more flourishing place. They do it. It happens everywhere in every corner of the world where there's a church. They build schools, they build hospitals, they build universities, they heal the sick, they build museums, they write great literature, they make great pieces of art, they care for the marginalized and the outcast and the orphan and the widow and the alien. They reconcile the world. It happens all over the world. The church is responsible for so much good in the world. Yes, the church is responsible for a whole lot of bad in the world too, but that's, I would say to you, then they weren't doing what they were sent there to do. Because this also happens in the world. We exist for the good of Nashville. That's because we are the means by which God has sought to accomplish his mission in the world. And his mission is to reconcile the world. We exist for the good of Nashville. But don't forget, this, 
this is God's mission. He has a church for his mission. This is his mission, which means this story, we kind of, I'll try to split the board for you a little bit. No, that's really helpful. That this story is all about him. That's why we say it's for the glory of God. It's about him, which guess what? means it's not about you. And that's actually great news. And actually, until we can kind of grasp that part of, of, of reality, that this story in the world is not about you, it's about him, finding joy is gonna be really hard. Doesn't matter how much money you make or what career you pursue or what networks you get involved in, it doesn't matter. That part of the reason why you don't have joy in your life is that you don't have a vision for your life and a context for your story that's bigger than you. You have to be a part of something bigger than you or you will remain miserable. And the Lord is saying to you in that misery, come and join me, join me in my church, in my body, in a world, in a specific time, in a specific place, on a specific corner, in a specific city that I've called you into and join my story in the sphere that I've sent you to for my purpose. See, you understanding what sphere you've been sent to and why you've been sent there. Like if you're trying to discern, well, I wonder where I'm supposed to be and I wonder what I'm supposed to do. And oh, I, found, I think I found my place and I found my niche because I've done enough personality tests and I've got enough degrees and I know, I know what I'm supposed to do with my life. You going on the journey of finding out what sphere you're supposed to be in is not a, it's not a, hey, what's my career supposed to be story? Or I wonder where my gifts and my personality style would best be maximized so I can make the best ROI and I can get the most out of it. It's not that story. This story is a story of all throughout history, God reconciling the world to himself. And where does your little, little, little like mist and dot of a life find its place in that story? Story. That, that's the story that we're talking about. Like, where do you fit into this story? Like a puzzle piece. I've done so many stinking puzzles this week and I love it. But <laughs> like a puzzle, you're a little puzzle piece. And it's not that the, the puzzle doesn't make sense without you. Yes, there's a part that you play, but we tend to think like, man, this story is all about me and I'm just a piece. No one knows who you are or cares who you are if you're just a piece. It only makes sense if you find your place in the bigger fabric like it only makes sense if you know, oh, I was meant to go here in this spot and complete this elephant leg, you know? Like I was supposed to, I was supposed to be here and do th this is my role for this part of God's world that he's reconciling to himself. Which is so counterintuitive for us because we were raised to ask this question, what do you wanna be when you grow up? Who cares? <laughs> I, I'm not saying like, hey, don't help kids like find out what they're good at and what they love. But we tell, we, like you've been raised to think you can be anything you wanna be. Not true. It's not true. You cannot be anything you wanna be. It doesn't matter how hard you work at it. Like I, I joke about being in the NBA, but it doesn't matter how, how many hours I put in, it's never going to happen. I missed my chance. Like it's, it's, it, it was never going to happen. <laughs> but we, we live in this like, what do I wanna be when I grow up? And I wonder if I could just explore that. And if I just work hard enough and find the right path, I can do whatever I wanna do. And it's not true, but we tend to think there's like this bullseye of my place in this world that I have to hit. And if I don't hit it perfectly on what I wanna do and maximizing my talent, the way that I wanna do it, if I don't hit that bullseye perfectly, 
then I'm not gonna have purpose and meaning and joy. And so then when we don't have purpose and meaning and joy, we think we've done something wrong. And so we have to go find a new thing to do or find a new family to be a part of or find a new job or a new city. But the reason why we keep moving around is because we're so discontent. And the reason why we're so discontent is because our story is still all about us. If the story's about you, you will never find joy. Like, do you, do you know the misery of a life that is only centered on you and you maximizing your life? Like, you only live once and maximize it to get all the bliss and ecstasy out of this life and go do it. Do you know the misery of that life? Do you know the boredom of that life? Do you know how boring you are? Like, it's not, it's not a life worth talking about. In, in 100 years, no one's gonna know who you are, I promise. And the way I know that is because you can't name for me your great, great, great granddad. If one of you can, don't prove me wrong right now. But like, the point is this, like three generations are gonna come around and you won't know anybody. No one's gonna remember you. They're not gonna make a movie about your life. It's not going to happen. I love, that's an amen in the PCA. That, your life is a dot it's a dot on the timeline of God's redemptive history and it doesn't make any sense if it tries to be disconnected from the dot, from the, from the line, if you disconnect the dot from the line. You can't even see the dot once it's a part of the line, but it certainly doesn't make any sense if you remove it from the line. And see, we thought this quest of deciding for ourselves what our story and our vision for our life was supposed to be, we thought, I can be anything. We thought that would free us it actually doesn't, it actually enslaves us. No, you've been sent. You've been sent somewhere as an ambassador for the king. You, you have a mission that God has for you to accomplish as a part of his mission for the world. You have an, you're an ambassador for a greater kingdom. This is not a you forging a story for yourself story. This is a you being found in a story. And that story can heal you and bring the healing that you've experienced from that story. You bring that story and that healing and that beauty with you to the places you've been sent. That's why it's all for the glory of God and not for the glory of you. It's all about him, which is actually really good news for us. Not just because it liberates us from the misery of self-absorption, the story being all about God, the story being all about his glory actually ends up being really good for us too because this is what happens. When he gets the glory, we get reconciled. That's, that's the story that he wrote. Look, look again at verse 18 and 19, our little section. All this is from God, Paul says, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. All this is from God, the whole story. It's all about him. And what story that's all about him did he choose to write? In the story that he's written, he wrote a story, get this, where you get reconciled. He wrote a story where you get healed. He wrote a story that even though you and I were far off and outcast, even though he had every right to leave us alone and disregard us, he reconciled us instead. That's the story he wrote 
that gives him the most glory and us the most good. He brought us back. His reconciliation story brings us home. His reconciliation story brings us to himself, our passage says. He reconciled us to himself. He brought us back to him. All this is from God. And so Paul here is trying to expound on that. And he says in this act of reconciliation, the Lord doesn't count our trespasses against us. This, this is like legal language. Like you've accrued a debt in a court of law. Your trespasses, your sin, your greed, your addiction, your abuse, ongoing pride, all of it, all of it. Your rage, your self-hatred, like all of it should be counted against you. And it should stack up against you and justice would say to you, you should remain far off. You should remain outcast. That when you run back to another lover, when you run back to an old addiction, when you can't kick, when you still are struggling with the same thing, all of it should stack up against you and you should remain outcast. You should be far off. You should be disregarded. But 2 Corinthians 5 just told you, the Lord treats you as if you've done none of it. He treats you like you owe him nothing, not counting their trespasses against them. How? Verse 21. It's the culmination of like so much theology. We talked about this in the first week in one verse. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who knew no sin, put himself in the path of oncoming destruction, not the path of oncoming beauty. Jesus was cast out so that you could be reconciled. Jesus was ripped apart so that you could be put back together. Jesus was alienated so that you could be adopted. And if reconciliation is beauty, then here's what you need to know, that the cross of Jesus is the most beautiful act in history because it's the cosmic level reconciliation act. It's actually mending what was broken. It's bringing beauty, the original intended beauty in the garden that you lost, that our, our first forefathers and foremother lost for us, that we were cast out, that Jesus says, actually, I wanna reconcile them and bring them back home and bring them back to myself. So the act of Jesus on the cross was the singular most beautiful act in the, in the history of the world where he was torn apart for your sake at great cost to himself to mend us. And did you notice in this passage who is making all the reconciliation happen? Did you notice what you contributed to being reconciled with God? Like what, what part did you play? Did you notice who paid the cost to cover the debt? He did. It's been said before that the only thing that we contribute to our own redemption is the sin from which we need to be redeemed. So if he did all the work that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's trespasses against them. If he did all that work, who gets all the glory? This is where the glory of God is actually a comfort for us. His glory is for our good because he makes his glory into something that reunites for us what was originally intended for us. That in the garden, when Adam and Eve fell, he didn't throw them out. He cast them out of the garden and cast them out of his presence, but he didn't give up on the story. He instead, for his glory, 
wrote a story of reconciliation. And in the story of reconciling, he does all the work to bring lost prodigals home. So he gets all the glory and we get all the gain. So if you let it actually all be about him, this is what's amazing about Christianity. If it's all about him, it can actually all be for you. <laughs> like if he gets the glory, what does he do with his glory? He uses it for you. And then it's for you. Then it doesn't have to be about you anymore. It can just be for you, which is what the gospel says. It's not about you, but it's for you. When God gets all the glory, we get all the gain. And then as those who have been reconciled by the singular act of beauty from Jesus, we then as the church take that beauty into the world and into the spheres where we've been sent as ambassadors, sent as agents. We go and we bring beauty where there was chaos. We go and where, where we've been sent and with the beauty that has happened to us and for us, we bring more beauty to the world. But sometimes, sometimes, the work of bringing beauty into the world doesn't always seem like it's winning. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it's doing anything. Like this is all great in theory, preacher man, but it doesn't actually seem like it's moving the needle. Sometimes the toddlers are so overwhelming, you feel like you're suffocating at home in the sphere where you've been sent. Sometimes you're trying to change a system or an organization or a problem, and the problem that your beauty doesn't seem like, like Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill, like it just doesn't, it seems insurmountable. Like I'll never be able to, this isn't doing anything. Sometimes the industry you're a part of is too narcissistic. Sometimes the work you've been sent to do in your sphere doesn't seem like it's doing anything. And maybe it's doing something, but you don't think it's doing anything reconciling the world. So maybe you've heard the story. Kurt Thompson, uh, one of my favorite authors, taught me this story. It's been used, I'm sure, in thousands of sermons, but it's a story of uh, a man uh, named Vedran Smolovich. You're familiar? Uh, Vedran was a cellist who for 22 straight days in May and June of 1992 played the same classical piece of music in the ruins of Sarajevo, the capital of Bosnia. And he goes out and he plays this same piece of classical music for 22 straight days after a mortar shelling in his town, in his little village of the town, had killed 22 people in a market. And he goes to the market where the bomb had gone off and he plays this cello piece for 22 straight days. And he plays his cello like in the, in the crosshairs of snipers. Like the war is still going on in his town. There's artillery gunners. There's just rubble everywhere. Like it's, it's a nightmare. There's chaos. There's destruction. There's death. There's blood. There's horror everywhere around him. And he goes out and plays this beautiful piece of music. His response to the chaos, to the horror, was to offer beauty in the midst of it. And it would be tempting to think, certainly like if you're just humanistically looking at it, that it didn't do anything because the war actually continued for many more years. Playing cello in the face of snipers and artillery guns doesn't do anything, it's just a political stunt. It's not actually doing anything for the war. So it'd be easy to say that in the real world, preacher man, beauty has no power. Beauty, it doesn't matter how many times I try to love my child, they're still far off. My, the beautiful attempts to reconcile with them isn't working. 
It's not working. It doesn't matter how many times I try to change or try to do something good as a musician in this town and create a beautiful piece of, of, of art or of work or of a song. It's not doing anything. Our beauty doesn't always seem like it's winning. We feel like we're playing cello in a war zone. But this is where the cross speaks to us because the cross didn't seem like it had won either. After Jesus dies, his family and his friends, those that are like, they put him in his grave. His best friends are hiding out in, in a room. They're terrified. They think all the beauty that our, our sweet rabbi Jesus, he taught us and he showed us, we, we thought this was the revolution. We thought this was reconciling the world for Israel. We thought this was it. Seemed like everything you did, Jesus, was a giant waste. All that beauty was for nothing. Seemed like, Jesus, your whole life was like playing cello in a war zone and didn't do anything. And now you're dead. But it was beauty and not death that had the final word in the story of Jesus. That Good Friday led to Easter Sunday. That what happened to Jesus on Good Friday, his beauty wasn't wasted. It actually won out in the end. It did defeat death. It did set the captives free. It did reconcile the sinner. And so the resurrection of Jesus cements beauty forever, meaning this, it solidifies, the resurrection solidifies that nothing can stop beauty from winning in the end. And so when we create beauty, whether that's like an empathetic conversation for the hundredth time with your teenager, and you're trying to tell them that you love them, and you're trying to tell them like, I get it, and you're trying to tell them like, I'm here for you, and they don't want any part of it. Or whether it's teaching math to a second grader, and they don't seem to get it, and what difference is this making because the home system is so jacked up, and, and there's destruction, and, there, and there's addiction, and I only have them for this little window, and teaching them this math in second grade isn't gonna do anything. Or whether it's like architecting a building on this street or in this city that's actually going to like let people play and flourish and dine and eat and drink and be, be a community. Like you're gonna design buildings and build buildings for place, and give people places to play and delight in. Whatever you're doing, when you create beauty in this world, you are on the side of victory because the resurrection of Jesus says that beauty ultimately wins in the end, always. Even if you don't see it. You are being an agent of reconciliation and an agent of beauty in the sphere where you've been sent. So when you go create beauty, you, it is not wasted. So Midtown 12 South, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry and message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us for the glory of God and the good of Nashville. Let's pray. Jesus, there is uh, so much, um, the world needs so much beauty and I believe because of the gospel that beauty can save the world. Beauty can heal the world and even if we can't always connect the dots on the beauty that you sent us to create and and be in our spheres, even if we can't logically conclude that beauty's doing anything, would you remind us what this passage says, that you are making your appeal to the world through us and we can leave the vindication and the end to you. 
that you've reconciled us to yourself that we might go and, and play a role, be a puzzle piece in you reconciling the world to yourself. And so, Lord, when the days are hard, when the days seem like they're not winning, when we feel like in this quest to create beauty for the world, would you encourage us with, with the beauty of Jesus, who also for a time didn't seem like it had won. But the empty tomb tells us that beauty has been cemented forever. And we join you in this mission. We pray, Jesus, amen.